Well, good evening, church. Welcome to our Sunday night teaching time. Tonight, uh, after the series on the parables, tonight we launch into a brand new teaching series. It'll be for a pretty good number of weeks. The topic for our study is renewed in the spirit of your mind, knowing how the life of God gets inside. The topic tonight, the title is Why Spiritual Truths Seem Unreal to the Natural Mind. Before we jump right into it, I want to show you where I got that phrase, renewed in the spirit of your mind. It's in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Get a Bible, look this up and study with me. Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And here's the phrase, 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. 24, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So so here's the deal. That phrase, renewed in the spirit of your minds, in 23, it's it's like an Oreo cookie. It's in the middle. It's the cream in the middle. Right before that phrase, put off your old self, 22. Right after that phrase, put on the new self. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. There's the transformation. And right between those two verses in 22, 23, be renewed in the spirit of your minds. I take that to mean being renewed in the spirit of our minds, whatever that means, is key to putting off the old self and putting on the new self. That's what we're all about. That's what we want to do. So that phrase, renewed in the spirit of your minds, it seems to me, That's at the heart of the kind of transformation that we all want to experience in deeper measure in our lives. Now, that's where that phrase is found. I just wanted to show that to you. Now on to a different text. 1 Corinthians, this is what we'll be studying tonight. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 to 14. Paul writes, it's kind of an involved text. 1 Corinthians 2, 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit, capital S, of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Look at this, 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, there's a lot in there. We're going to try and unpack a bunch of it tonight. 
But let me start with a question. I asked this question in uh, my Christian ed class that we used to have in the South Sanctuary, and we talked about it quite a bit. What is the difference right here and now in this present life between a Christian and a non-Christian, a saved person and an unsaved person? What's the difference? Well, Pastor Don, that's easy. Those who put their trust in Jesus, God the Son, they go to heaven. Unsaved people will suffer eternal torment in hell, although you're probably not allowed to say that anymore. But it really doesn't answer my question. I want to know the difference not when Jesus comes again or after we die. I want to know the difference right now. So in this present life, right at this minute, what's the difference between a Christian person and a non-Christian person? Well, Pastor Don, saved people are upright and moral and good, and unsaved people are wicked and evil. Really? And, And is that always the case? I mean, don't you know at least one or two non-Christian people who are just as moral and compassionate and upright and hardworking and diligent as you are? Don't you know any of them? And I think we'd have to say, well, yeah, there are. So, So just what is the difference then between the saved person and the unsaved person right now in this present world? I think it's an important question, and I think it has application to to all of us. Many Christians themselves don't know how to assess their own spiritual state. Some don't even know what to look for in terms of their own assurance of standing in grace. I'm sure there might be people listening to me right now who are genuinely born again, who want to follow Jesus with all their heart, but but get beaten by their own doubts or the accusations of the devil every time they fail God, every time they don't measure up. And because they aren't yet perfect, they assume, well, maybe I'm just not a Christian. And Paul would offer encouragement in our text. But, But perhaps more dangerously, on the other side of the coin, maybe, maybe there are some people who assume they're saved because, well, fairly regularly they, they go to church, they had Christian parents or family members. Maybe in a church the size of, of Cedarview, there might be people who are sure they are saved but aren't. I mean, is that a possibility? And unless they look at questions like the one we're studying in this series, they'll never come to see their true spiritual condition, and repent. I think that the Apostle Paul addresses the very question I asked. What's the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian right now? I think he deals with that tremendously important question in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's comparing the condition of the saved and the unsaved right now. And so we're going to introduce the topic tonight. Don't don't form uh, all your opinions yet. There's a lot of stuff to work through. Here are some of the big principles. Point number one, there's a fundamental difference in the way divinely revealed truth is received in spiritual people and natural people. 
And many of us should take comfort in that fact. The fact that there's a huge difference in response to spiritual truth, it seems obvious from this text. So whatever else Paul has in mind, he's pretty dogmatic about about at least this. People do not all receive spiritual truth when it's presented to their hearts. It's right in that 14th verse. Look at it, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural person, and here it is, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Now, we'll look at what all of that means. The natural person, he says, he just doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. Now, he may not be a morally perverse person, but one thing is certain, the natural person, he's not the same as the spiritual person. That is, the natural person, he hasn't been regenerated by the Spirit of God. That's what Paul means by a spiritual person. He doesn't mean some kind of charismatic mystic or someone in touch with their own inner self like Oprah might describe. He means any person in whom the Spirit of God comes with new life. And he says, the natural person, he's on the outside looking in. When it comes to receiving, that's the word Paul uses, spiritual truth. Paul says the natural person doesn't receive or accept, that's the other word, he doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. He might be brilliant in other areas of life, but he won't accept the things of God. Now, pause there. Just think about that one point before we move on to other things. Because I think there should be some comfort here for Christian people. Paul says, I shouldn't be shocked or surprised or dismayed when many bright, intelligent, decent people don't appreciate the things of God the way I might. I mean, I wonder how many people actually become depressed or worse, filled with doubt and start to question their own beliefs simply because other people whom they admire and look up to, they don't accept the things of Christ. They reject biblical truth. So, so maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just being gullible. How come they don't see it? How come they don't appreciate it? How do you react to the unbelief of intelligent people around you? What about people hungering for hits on their website as they deconstruct their once professed faith? This is quite a trend right now. I know he's writing about a different subject, but Paul kind of addresses this idea in Romans 3, verse 3. He said, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? It's a good question. What if other people don't accept it? What if other people don't believe it? Does that that take away from the truth of God's word, his revealed truth? Does the unbelief of other people cause you to doubt God? 
do you begin to wonder whether or not your faith might be misplaced? Paul has a Paul has an encouraging word for the church. The natural person, those yet unrenewed by the Spirit of God, even if they're deeply involved in the church, they, they can't digest and appreciate the things of God. The Bible says so. They may believe in God. They may believe in the Trinity. They may believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God. They, they may have that doctrinal belief and understand that he died for our sins, rose from the dead. They may write worship courses. They may know all of those things, but somehow don't apply these truths to their own hearts. They don't receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's different from religion, even the Christian religion. So so the first point of this teaching is, I should expect this kind of difference in response to the things of God in this world. I should be ready for it. Their rejection of the truth that I love and embrace shouldn't cause me to despair and doubt the truth of the gospel. That's the first thing I wanted to say. But there's still some other important questions raised here for thinking Christians. So exactly in what way does the natural unsaved person, exactly how does he miss spiritual truth? I think it's important to nail that down. Is it that he can't understand it intellectually? He can't, he can't see what the nouns and the verbs and the sentences and the paragraphs in this book, that he just somehow isn't bright enough to make sense of them. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying at all. And that's the point of our next study. Point number two. What is the difference in the way the natural person and the spiritual person respond to the things of God? I have several thoughts here I want to go over. So this is A. Here's the difference. A, both the natural person and the spiritual person can have knowledge and understanding of the content of biblical truth. I think we have to start there. All people, with or without the Spirit of God, can read the Bible. They can believe in God. All people can know the doctrinal truths of creation. All persons can memorize scripture if they want. There are atheists who can quote Psalm 23, John 3.16. They can sing hymns. They can write courses. They can go to church. So, so there's no distinct proof of spiritual life in these things all by themselves. Those abilities are pretty common to all people and are not by themselves any proof of a born-again heart. One would only have to look, of course, at the Pharisees in the New Testament for all their religious knowledge, lots of religious knowledge. Jesus told them they were far from the kingdom of God, miles away. That means when Paul says the natural person 
cannot understand, verse 14, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God, he doesn't mean they can't understand the words on paper. Paul means something deeper, and we'll look at that in in a minute. But for now, just note, the difference between the natural person and the spiritual person isn't to be found just in their knowledge of biblical facts or their observance of religious rituals. That's not where the difference lies. B, both the natural person and the spiritual person can believe the things they find in the Bible or hear in sermons. They can believe those things to be true. That might shock you that I'm saying that. All thinking people can, of their own accord, they can come to the conclusion that the Bible is true in what it says. That's another important point because Paul does say that the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God. It's in the first part of verse 14. Look at it. 1 Corinthians 2, the first part of that 14th verse. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. We need to think about that. Doesn't mean he can't quote them. Doesn't mean he can't know about them. Paul doesn't mean the natural person can't give some kind of cold mental assent to those things. He doesn't accept these truths in terms of their implication for his or her life. That's the issue. The natural person doesn't embrace these truths. The natural person won't allow his life to be affected by these truths. But that doesn't mean he can't agree with the content of truths that he hears or reads about. Many times he might. Point number three. There's only one sure sign of spiritual truth received by the spiritual person. And I'm going to get this in our text. 1 Corinthians 2, I want to look at 10, 11, and 12. These things, spiritual truths, God has revealed to us through the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now Paul's going to apply this. Verse 11, for who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit, small s, Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So I'm I'm the only one who knows what I'm thinking. You can look at me. You can guess. But I'm the only one who knows what's going on inside my own head. That's what Paul means. Who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also, so he's going to make a comparison. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God, capital S. And then he says this, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit, capital S, who is from God. Why have we received that spirit? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. I think there's a sense in which verse 11 is is the key to everything else Paul says in this challenging text. That's where he says, for who knows a person's thoughts 
except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also, in the same way, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So, so now we're starting to see, this is why those indwelt by the Holy Spirit can receive revealed truth in the sense of being affected by spiritual truth. All people can read spiritual truth, biblical truth. All people can listen to a sermon, a podcast. All people can even agree with a lot of this stuff. But but Paul's talking about there's a kind of sensing the weight of spiritual truth that only the Holy Spirit can bring. That's what verse 11 is all about. Paul uses, he uses the best illustration he can think of to make this really complex truth a little bit simpler and a little bit more clear. He says, the Spirit of God knows the mind of God in the same way my spirit, small s, knows my own mind Internally, That's what verse 11 is all about. That's the comparison Paul is making. You know what you're thinking. You and only you know what's in your memory. I, I can't tell the kind of things you can or cannot recall unless you choose to reveal it. Only you know what emotions you're experiencing. You can bottle those up. How many, how many times do wives say to their husbands, you, you never tell me how you're feeling. Even those closest to us can't tell unless we share. Only my spirit, small s, knows what's going on inside my person. Now, Paul says the same is true of God. Only God can convey a living sense of himself to us. There's a knowledge of God that only the Spirit of God can generate. It's very hard to explain, but it's a knowledge of the things of God that goes beyond just intellect. It has to include at least intellect. But it goes beyond mere understanding. I mean, James, James 2.19, James says even demons believe in one God. They've got the doctrinal stuff sorted out. No, I think the best way we can say it is this. The Holy Spirit, when he lives, enters, reigns in my heart, causes my whole life, here it is, to be affected by the things of God. Not just to know about the things of God, to be affected by the things of God. He makes the things of God matter to me more than anything else. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. That's the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian in this present life. It's not an easy truth to get your head around, but it's an important one to get your head around. Here's how spiritual people hear God in God's word. Paul talks about this very thing. It's a great text. Look it up. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. 1 
First Thessalonians 2.13. Paul talks about the way these people received the things of God. And we also thank God constantly for this. Listen, that when you received the word of God, Paul just preached. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Remember Paul said the natural person does not accept the things of God. You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And then he says, which is, listen, at work in you believers. So it isn't just known, not even just agreed with, it's at work. They're affected by it. They, 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 they sense God in it. That's it exactly. All sorts of people hear and may even agree, but only the Holy Spirit can enable people to hear God in his word. These people are affected by the word. It matters to them because they hear God himself talking to them in it. Church, we should all seek God more and more about this. Pray that his word isn't just data for your brain. Pray that it's at work in you. Spiritual people, says Paul, are they're affected by what they hear. Test your heart with this. Do you dabble or are you affected? Anyone at all can know spiritual truth on a certain level. Anyone. The Holy Spirit brings about the experience of the things of God. He, he excites the heart around them. He affects the will with spiritual truth. Think again about that powerful truth in that 1 Corinthians 2.11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You know full well how this works. You know full well how your own mind can, can bring to life inwardly what nobody else can see. Daydreaming would be an excellent example. Personal goals, personal passions would be another. Your own, your own spirit, it kind of creates a reality within your being that, that you can sense and enjoy and feel. This is what the Holy Spirit does in the spiritual man. Your life starts to orbit around the things of God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just understand. Taste and see. It's a perception of these things. Make sure that's happening in your heart. Don't gloss over it. Don't settle for less. Jesus came to create the genuine thing. I've often thought along these same lines of, of the words of our Lord in John 7, 37 and 38. Look how Jesus describes his presence and work. On the last day of the feast, that great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Cried out. I wonder what that sounded like. 
If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, look, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Not just water, living water. That's it exactly. That's what the new birth, receiving Jesus, born again, saved, whatever word you want to use, That's what it's all about. It's not just knowing about Jesus. It's not just admiring the teaching of Jesus. It's not just agreeing with the Sermon on the Mount. It's about, it's about soul transformation and soul satisfaction, like drinking cold water on a hot afternoon. You know when that happens. Don't settle for anything less. What's the difference? What's the difference between someone who has the Spirit of God and someone who doesn't? Well, the difference is this. The person in whom the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God lives, that person's life is affected by spiritual truth. We're going to continue in this for a number of weeks. I think it just gets to the core of of what being renewed in the spirit of your mind is all about. So join us. Keep joining us. Sunday nights at 6.30. Don't forget Wednesday, 7 o'clock, right here in this room. We have two services in person every week. 10 o'clock Sunday morning, 7 o'clock Wednesday night. There's kids' ministries, study notes. We're wrapping up the book of Judges. Then we'll start another brand new study. God bless you, church. Love one another, let's pray. Keep us rooted in your word, in the, and that, that word rooted in your word, in the sense that life flows up through the roots into the plant, and we're affected, transformed more and more by the things revealed to our hearts by your Holy Spirit through your word. Bless our church, keep us all safe. Keep us sweet in our hearts and souls, Christ-like in everything we post, in everything we say. We want to be like Jesus, in whose name we pray, and I thank you. Amen. Bless you, church.